Labyrinths is brought to you by Knox Robinson Productions. Please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can listen to Labyrinths ad-free. Visit patreon.com slash Robinson to learn more. I'm a lesbian, so I can't just go about it the old-fashioned way, I guess. Yeah, I loved your email where you were like, try as she might, my wife is not getting me no, pregnant. Like, <laughs> it's just not going to happen that way. What's your first step? The first step is you have to find a sperm bank, which there are so many options. You have to pay for the subscription, and then you have to pay if you want to see pictures, if you want to like see the interviews. It's such a weird process. I had to go and get blood tests and check how many eggs I have. And my eggs were good. And so we finally chose a donor, and then COVID hit. So everything just kind of stopped. By the time we started everything up again, how many eggs I was producing, the quality of them went down. And when you hear that, like, it's just so much stress. And I had to be talked off a ledge by my fertility doctor. And I was like, are my eggs all bad? Have I gotten too old? Like, has my chance passed me by? And she's like, just try not to think about it. Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. I'm Amanda Knox. And I'm Christopher Robinson. And this is is Labyrinths. In the last episode of our mini-series on infertility, we looked at all the challenges couples face with ovulation, uterine dysfunction, and failed implantation. That is, egg-based challenges to fertility. But, of course, it takes more than an egg to make a baby. Why can't we make babies very easily? (laughs) I had cancer as a child and a lot of chemotherapy, very strong chemotherapy that wiped out my ability to make sperm or make enough of it. Mm. Unlike a lot of couples who struggle with infertility, we went into it with our eyes very wide open. I knew very early on that when we decided to build a family that it'd be fostering, adopting, or sperm donor was actually a more recent idea. And what was that experience like? It was surreal. You shop baby photos online. I mean, I was imagining my face mixed with these babies' faces. (laughs) It's like a dating profile. So you're reading all these descriptions of these men and whether or not they smoke or drink or their personalities, their favorite books. The sperm bank had lots of donors, but only one that shared my husband's ethnicity. So that made the decision very easy at the end of the day. You buy straws of sperm. Who knew? They come in little (laughs) tiny straws, like smaller than a pixie stick. They look like the little honey you would get at a coffee shop or that you'd put into your tea or you snip Like a farmer's market, little straws of honey. That's what it looks like. just like that. Yeah. And each straw of sperm was $600, probably. Wow. And the price will vary on how... (laughs) active the swimmers are. So you can buy sperm that's got a high motility rate or you buy sperm that I guess is lazier and not (laughs) swimming as much. So And that's discount. (laughs) Yeah, that's discount sperm. Exactly. It's very strange. And very strange to be buying like a stranger's ejaculate. (laughs) It's weird and deeply unsexy, but there it is. We tried at home twice we bought a couple straws for each try. So those tries were $1,200. And do they give you guidance about 
how to go about using the straw? Because you're not a coffee cup. <laughs> no, there's a booklet. There's a booklet with a weird baby on the front. And I remember an Asian baby. And I thought, I didn't order an Asian baby. You saw it out at room temperature for, I don't know, 20 minutes. Because it comes in this cryo chamber that's filled with liquid nitrogen to keep it frozen. It's like a witch's brew. The smoke all pours <laughs> out and there's these little frozen straws. They say for home inseminations, you get a couple so that you shoot it up there once at the beginning of your ovulation and then like 24 hours later. So you're trying to create this window of opportunity. Hmm. And you squirt it up there and then you like wait. And were you doing this all on your own? Like, were you just kind of like in the bathroom and he's on the other side of the door going, how's it going, honey? Or like... (laughs) (laughs) I did did the first one. Yeah, I was in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. You put your hips on a pillow. Sure. And pretend it's somehow sweet and sexy, (laughs) even though it's not. (laughs) And so then what happened? So we did not get pregnant that way. And in retrospect, I don't know that frozen sperm at home is something I would ever recommend to anybody. Now that I've learned more about it, I think that was probably a waste of money. We learned later when we started talking to a fertility doctor, we were probably never going to get pregnant that way. The U.S. does not maintain records on the usage of donor sperm, but the U.S. National Library of Medicine estimates that between 2015 and 2017, nearly half a million women underwent donor insemination. For some, finding a donor is the only route to pregnancy. And discount or not, those swimmers don't come cheap. How is your wife dealing with all of this? I just don't tell her as much about all of this stuff. It's stressful no matter what. We kind of went into it saying that we have four shots because that's all we could afford from the sperm bank. It was five grand for just four vials. And that was because we got to buy three, get one free special. These are the four chances we have, which adds like another layer of stress on it. Like, do I want to do the IUI? Because my chances of IUI, I think are 20%. Like maybe the first four times we don't get it. Right. And the fifth time would have been the one that we got it. Or do I want to do IVF now, which increases my chances to 70%. Right. But then you have all of the things that go along with the IVF. But We decided this is it. These are the four shots we have. So it's just all pretty stressful. Money is always a factor in these decisions. It affects how many attempts you can make and which methods of insemination you can use. We moved to doing intrauterine inseminations. So this is not nearly as like invasive as IVF or as expensive. Lesbian couples do IUI. That's very common. They have done a ton of road paving for us. Yeah. <laughs> the doctor will insert it directly into your uterus. And how, much did, how much did it cost to have the physician? $700 for that process. So, but And you're still buying the sperm. Right. So now we're talking $1,500 a try, $1,600 a, every month, a try yeah. every month. Wow. We did how many months? We did IUI three times initially, but that third IUI was the trick. We got pregnant. And what was it like when you saw the pregnancy test? Complete joy. Just like, we did it. We're here. I can't believe it. I was giddy. (laughs) Yeah. In a way, I almost don't recognize anymore because so much has happened since then. But so happy and just wanted to tell everybody, honestly. What about you? I I was a, a little more reserved. I wanted to wait until we got further along to get excited. 
Yeah, so I, I was uh, cautious. Yeah, a little. But did you have a little like uh, moment when you saw the uh, test? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Is, is this real? Is this? I mean, is, am I ready for this? Yeah. What did we just do? Oh, we used a sperm donor. Was that a good idea? <laughs> I'm pregnant with, genetically speaking, someone else's baby. Like that was a weird thing I did. <laughs> you kind of second guess maybe everything, but we were excited. I didn't have an ultrasound until ten and a half weeks. And part of that was me bypassing some early options, trying to save money. I thought, I got a positive pregnancy test. What else do I need to know? And then the other part of it was that my OBGYN was pushing ultrasounds back for low-risk pregnancies because of COVID. Right. So I wasn't scheduled for one until 11 weeks, which is just eons of time Yeah. (laughs) when you're pregnant with your first baby to not have any signs of life. I was feeling good about it probably until about nine weeks. And I started to have a lot of anxiety, no physical signs of anything being wrong, no spotting, no cramping, but I just started to have no peace about it at all. We had told my family and the day before we were going to tell my husband's parents, I said, I need an ultrasound right now. So we actually went to like a novelty ultrasound photo studio. Oh, gee whiz. I didn't know that existed. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's a legit medical grade ultrasound. It's a real ultrasound machine. Cool. But it's more like a first photo of baby studio thing, right? So many regrets in how I handled this. The picture came up and I had a gestational sack and it was the size that you would expect it to be at 10 and a half weeks. And my husband noticed it before I did. And he grabs my hand and squeezes it. I could see it right away. Oh, no. And the technician starts gently asking questions like, have you had an ultrasound yet? And then she sort of gently said, there's nothing here. Wow. And the moment for me was, of course there isn't. How stupid was I to think that there ever was? It was just deep shame that I should have known that I wasn't going to have a baby and this wasn't going to work that this was empty the whole time and babies are for other people. So it was a tough drive home. (laughs) Yeah. In your email to me, you said something that really resonated with me. You talked about how you had talked to baby and you had looked at the pregnancy app Mm -hmm. and it says it's as big as a blueberry. It's as big as a raspberry. And here I was thinking it's as big as a raspberry, but nope. It's not. It never was as big as a raspberry, yeah. And it it never had fingernails, and it never developed the lungs I thought it had, and it, it never was. It was a new definition of loneliness that I've never felt before, to know that it was just me in my body, and it had been just me the whole time was a profound sense of loneliness. I hadn't realized how much I had already been relating to this other person I thought was there. I felt just so very just myself and alone in that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like this person that you cared about is a ghost. Yeah. And where does the love go? Like, where did all it go? It was all going here and it's not now. It was very disorienting. The next day I got a six pack of Corona and sat on my porch, <laughs> drank way too much. And it was, a, it was a foggy time. 
the kind of thing that's pushed on you from when you're little is that like being a mommy is such a big part of being a woman. I kind of feel like I'm failing at it a little bit. Mm. Wondering like, is this going to happen for me? If I get to have a baby, that's great. But like, if I just end up not being somebody who's fertile and who can carry a baby, it's like something that you'll just miss out on. Like you'll just never understand it. I think the thing that's crazy is everyone's like, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, just keep going. And you're like, is there? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but maybe there's not. Like, maybe there's no light at the end of this tunnel. Maybe the light at the end of this tunnel is just another dog. Hmm. Every single month you feel the clock ticking. Is that it? Was that the last time that I could have a baby? Like, was that the good egg that I just released? Yeah. Such a weird experience because there might not be a light at the end of the tunnel. This might just be it. Is there a version of yourself that's a happily married woman who doesn't have kids? I hope so. I think so. I think that I could just live with being an amazing, fun, gay aunt to everybody, you know? Like, I'm going to take you on a trip when you turn 18. I guess I won't know until either I can't get pregnant or I do get pregnant. Like, there's also that total fear of, like, what if I get pregnant and three months into it, I'm like, this was a huge mistake. <laughs> like, you know, like, this is not what I want at all. And then now I'm down like what, like 20 grand for a life lesson. I love all the tiny people in my life. And apparently everybody around me is incredibly fertile. So I could keep having the smell of new babies and just deal with the disappointment. I hope I could live with it. I guess there'd be really no choice. We could tell you all the great reasons you should support Labyrinths on Patreon, including ad-free episodes and exclusive patron-only content. But why not hear it direct from a listener? Hi, my name is Allie, and I joined Labyrinths Patreon because there's nowhere else that you can explore the ebbs and the flows of humanity with the kind of truth and grace that you can get with Labyrinths. There really isn't anywhere else you can get that. Visit patreon.com slash Robinson. When you know that biological children are not in the cards for you, there remains one other route to being a parent. But it, too, is a difficult road. I have something called Turner syndrome. Basically, my X chromosome is damaged, so my ovaries are underdeveloped. So I was never able to produce eggs. I cannot have children biologically. You've known since how long that you've had this syndrome? I was diagnosed at 10 years old. I was way shorter than everybody else. And the school nurse, she got a referral to an endocrinologist. And I walked in there and he goes, oh yeah, no, you're a Turner's girl. And he got me the blood work to confirm. And so I've known since the fifth grade. Wow. That's a crazy thing to learn when you're in fifth grade. Nobody talks about Turner syndrome. It's something that not a lot of people know about. And it affects one in every 2,000 girls. As I got older, I started to process the motherhood thing more and more. If you were to ask me in high school or in early college, you know, I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, I'll just adopt. Like, I totally have the heart for that. I have no issue. And all that's still true. But the complications of actually going through the process, the road is long. It's expensive. It's lengthy. It's heartbreaking. And I've cried over it a lot. She does cry a lot about it. 
she has a hard time whenever she sees someone with a pregnancy announcement. It's just how long the road seems. Hmm. I have absolutely no issue adopting, but looking at how much it costs, the different legal loopholes you have to go through and the home inspections. And like I said, we're looking to buy a house so we could do that and making sure that you know, we have X amount of bedrooms. Some of them make you furnish the bedroom beforehand. You have to be ready for them to come tomorrow, even though it could be months down the road. Wow. <sighs> yeah. And no two agencies have exactly the same protocols. Some of them are like $40,000. And it makes you feel like you're buying a child. The list of requirements is so daunting. And it makes you feel like you're defeated before you even start. Mm. So... Exactly what stage are you at? So we're in the process of trying to get pre-approved for a mortgage. As soon as we legally can, we're going to try to find agencies. And some of them, you have to be married for three years, some two. Once we find an agency, we decide whether we want to go, you know, domestic or international, whether we want to go through the foster care system or just plain adopt. We're picking the path and then we're just going to start applying and seeing what we can do. I've heard people say different things like it's brought us closer because we have this crazy thing that we're going through. And other people have been like, we had such a perfect marriage and now we're at each other's throats and everything in between. So I'm curious to know, like, how have you two been doing? She's been getting worse, being upset about it or getting like depressed about it, not being able to really do anything to get her mind off it. Generally, I pick her up when she needs it and try to be supportive and remind her like, oh, you've got a great support system. People want to help you make this happen. Like everyone knows you're, you'd be a great mother. Whenever we talk about our future, we talk about kids being part of it. And I've had some conversations with him, like, what would it look like if it were just us? At what point in this do we picture that journey instead? Like I've told her, like I'm here for her whether it happens or whether it doesn't. I am very much a traveler. I spent time teaching abroad. So you know, I'm trying to go, you know, at the very least we can travel, we can rent an RV, do a cross-country road trip, and hope maybe it'll work. Yeah. But let's do the when we become parents game first. <laughs> I very much picture, like, the, stupid as this sounds, the matching PJs and all that kind of <laughs> dorky stuff. That's, that's sweet. That's what I want. That's what I know and love. When you've wanted children for so long, Accepting that you will not succeed can be a challenge. That's even true for people who have already had one child and are now facing secondary infertility, like this couple who had a young son named Calvin and were hoping for a sibling. We found out we were pregnant and it was a complete surprise. We actually decided to tell Calvin about it. We got him a shirt that said like, finally a big brother. Oh, he wore it to see our families like he was the one to tell them like he was just thrilled. Oh, for our 10 week appointment, we thought it was everything was going to be fine. I was still having like all the normal pregnancy symptoms. So I went to the appointment by myself because it was just a checkup. They oh. couldn't find the heartbeat. And like Calvin knew right away that something was wrong. He was like, is something wrong with my baby sister? And so we told him he was devastated. Yeah. How do you explain that? It was really tough. Like, I don't... He was very, why, why did this have to happen? He was just distraught. I think we both kind of just went numb. And I see him when it's time to come in from playing with his friends. And like, his friends are like, oh, you know, like, I'm going to go play like a board game with my brother or something. Like, he has to rely on us. He has a dog now and he calls that his sister and his playmate. So sometimes he's happy with it. And sometimes he's like, oh, I think I would rather have a baby, to be honest. 
I don't handle grief very well. So I just told him if we did this again, and we lost another baby, like, I don't think I would get through that. The thing that's lingering and upsetting the most in a way is just the amount of pain that she's been dealing with with some of this stuff. I started getting this pain in my side and I couldn't tell you what it was from. At first I thought it was my appendix and then I thought maybe I had pulled something. We went to urgent care, then we went to the ER. They found I had endometriosis. So I have now had... Two? Two surgeries? Yeah. yeah. Two endometriosis surgeries. They actually, the last one, they had to remove my right ovary. Wow. Yes, yeah, so, but I'm still in pain. <laughs> the last one didn't work. So we're actually going back at the end of this month and talking about doing a full hysterectomy at this point. Wow. I went to a really dark place after being in pain for three years. I just want to be out of pain how has this changed or refined your understanding and experience of hope? When I would think of hope before, it would always be like, I hope we get pregnant and have another baby that will complete our family. I'll feel complete inside. I will feel whole. After the loss and then after a better acceptance of the loss with the pain and thinking about having a hysterectomy. My hope now is just the health and happiness for our family rather than kind of hopeful for things that you can't control. That's the double-edged sword of modern science. It offers you the hope of controlling your fertility and thus makes it all the harder to accept that it may be impossible for you to have biological children. We started with ovulation induction, and we did that every month for months and months and months. And then we went to IVF, and that was a whole nother <laughs> ball game. That was really, it's, it's hard. After they removed my eggs, I got bloated and was really, really sick, just fatigued and nauseous, and I felt horrible. <laughs> It was pretty rough. We had two viable eggs out of 22 that they took out of me, and they were both girls. And we were super excited because we wanted a girl anyway. So we were like, yay! We, were, we picked out a name, and we were super excited. We had framed the microscopic picture of the fertilized embryo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first embryo transfer we did, so I could not keep my mouth shut. I was so excited. And everybody, you know, was so excited for us. And then when it didn't work out, I had to explain over and over and over. And we were like, well, we have another girl. It's all right. Like, we can do this. We were like, this has to be it. Yeah. I actually remember the last appointment I went to with my fertility doctor. As I was pulling into the parking garage, I was like, how many times have I come here thinking, like, this is it. This is my day. Like, and how many times have I left disappointed and crying? And when they sent me home, they were like, don't move. Keep laying down so that, you know, it can attach itself in there. And I did. I was, like, afraid to get up for, like, three days. No. And that one didn't take either. Shoot. In some states health insurance will cover fertility treatments. Unfortunately, Kentucky is not one of them. It's about $20,000 on top of 
the monthly ovulation inductions, that was, you know, several hundred every single month. Eventually, we were like, we can't do another round of IVF that's 20 grand. We just kind of had to let it go. And he was like, we still have each other. We're still okay. Like, and we have our cats. So those are kind of our babies too. <laughs> the choice not to have kids would have been nice if we made it as opposed to it was being made for us. It was weird after we stopped doing the fertility treatments because I almost felt like I was in outer space. My life had been consumed with medicine and doing all this. I was on 14 pills a day and the shots. And then to stop, I was just like, what do I do now? I was like, I'm no longer a science experiment. This is strange. I don't know what to do. Yeah, now what? (laughs) The answer to now what is therapy. I had it all planned out. You know, I'm going to take care of my baby and take him to school and blah, blah, blah. You know, I had so many like daydreams about us taking our kids to the beach and all this stuff. And so trying to figure out who I am as just a wife (laughs) and a cat mom and who we are together, that was just as tough as everything else was. People are like, oh, poor them. It kind of becomes your identity as maybe the couple who failed IVF, which isn't great either. Yeah. Oh, God. We still have the biohazard box with all the needles in it. And I'm like, do you want to get rid of this? I ask her about once every six months. I I don't want to. I don't know why. I still have some hormones in the fridge for the shots. I don't know why I've kept them. I see them every now and then and I'm like, well, I had been saving them because people were, they'd put their ultrasound picture with all the needles around it. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. I want to do that. And so I kept them for that reason. And then I just, I don't know why. I just kept them. I'll throw them away someday. Did you save the framed photo that you made earlier? Do you still have that? I took it out of the frame and I tucked it underneath some stuff in a drawer. And I see it every now and then. But that almost feels more traumatic to me than seeing a little bottle of hormones in the fridge. (laughs) I don't know why. I, I don't know. It's like extinguishing hope completely if you get rid of that. Of all the dozens of people who reached out to us, most were women. A few were couples. The men struggling alone were few and far between, but their struggles were no less real. It's not like I was dying to tell my story to people, even though I'll tell anybody, like I'm a blabbermouth, I don't care. (laughs) So I don't mind blabbing about my sordid past. (laughs) I'm one of those guys that's always wanted to have a kid. It's never been a question. It's just like, that's what you do. I'm from the Midwest and that's what you do. You raise a bunch of kids, you have a family and that's what matters. And when I met my ex-wife, she was a single mother. She had a daughter that was almost three. And we started dating. Like the joke was in our relationships that my stepdaughter picked me. (laughs) You know, I've always loved kids. And my ex-wife, same thing. Two months after we got married, we decided now is the right time. We're married now. You know, let's try to have a kid. So we were in the process of trying to have a child. And she found this lump on her breast. Oh, no. Very small, like the size of a pea. And she's like, you know, what the hell is this? And I'm like, I'm sure it's nothing. You know, don't worry about it. She's like, no, something's wrong. It's like, I don't know what this is. So she goes to the doctor. They, of course, do like the mammogram or whatever, ultrasound. They say, oh, don't worry about it. It's probably just a cyst. Don't worry about it. So she goes home, thinks nothing of it. Still bugging her. 
She goes to see a different doctor. They tell her the same thing. She actually went to four doctors. They all told her the same thing. Hmm. So she finally said, look, I'm trying to have a baby. I don't want to be stressing about this for the next nine months. You keep telling me it's nothing, but you really don't know for sure 100% unless you do a biopsy, right? Hmm. And they said, well, yeah. She said, okay, well then take it out. So she goes into the surgery. They take it out. He finally calls us back and he's perturbed. He's like, look, you have cancer. It's very aggressive. We may have to remove your ovaries. We may have to remove your breasts. Wow. And we're like, fuck, how does your life turn on a dime like that, right? She was 32. Wow. No cancer in her family, nothing, right? Wow. So they said, luckily, we found it early. Yeah, gee, thanks. You guys are great. And I'd mentioned we were trying to have a baby. And they said, well, a lot of people don't realize, but if you go through chemo, that can put a woman into menopause, no matter the age. doesn't matter. Wow. We talked to the doctors about the options. They said, look, we don't want to wait too long to start the chemo, but we can wait a little bit. We suggest you do one round of fertility, freeze embryos, and then we'll start the chemo right after. So that's what we did. Went and did the fertility. They froze 11 embryos. And then she went and started her chemotherapy. And it was like two years of hell, chemo, radiation, all these treatments, some other surgeries and whatnot. She lost her hair, eyebrows, everything. Two years passed and the cancer didn't come back. And we're like, we can try to have a baby now, right? And she had like a kind of a weird response. She wasn't like excited or anything. And I'm like, well, you know, whatever. She's been through a lot. So she went to the doctor, came back and didn't mention anything. And a couple of days later, I'm like, hey, by the way, did you talk to the doctor about, can we start trying to have a baby now? And she's like, oh yeah, he said we have to wait another six months. And I'm thinking, well, that's weird. Hmm. Wait six months, life goes on. But she actually started to change. And this is something a lot of people don't, realize you think if you go through something like cancer where you're you're worried you may die or whatever and you get through that you think i'm king of the world now i'm great i'm healthy i'm gonna live my life life is amazing right but there's a lot of people that actually go to the dark side and it can vary what the dark side is but she definitely went to the dark side slowly and became like a totally different person hmm. she started like partying all the time drinking heavy hanging out late at night all the time and she was never a partier at all but she also had her daughter at 19, right? So I started thinking, well, maybe she felt like she didn't live her life and she better live her life now in case she doesn't have long. It's always like hanging over her head. Is cancer going to come back? When's the shoe going to drop again? When am I going to like touch my body and feel something that I know is not right? And that's got to be a terrible way to live. So I waited and waited. She goes to the doctor again, comes back. I ask the same question. Oh, so the doctor gave you the, the good news. Can we go ahead and, and, and go forward with trying to get pregnant again? Oh, I forgot to ask. Hmm. And I was like, you forgot to ask? What do you mean? Oh, I forgot to ask. I'll ask him next time. And I'm like, okay. And this happened like a couple times, right? Meanwhile, we had our frozen embryos at the fertility clinic. And then you got to pay the storage every year because they have to hold them for you. So at the time, I was like paying all the bills and take care of her daughter because I didn't want her to worry about anything. I was doing everything, right? But the one thing she said she would do is like, oh, I'll, I'll pay the fertility because you're paying for everything else. I'll pay for the storage. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I ended up asking her like another year later, what about the, the embryos? You know, are they, they're still good, right? You paid that, right? The storage. And she was like, oh, I forgot. Uh... And I'm like, what? Oh, what mean you forgot? She made it sound like she forgot to pick up milk coming home from work. And finally, after months of this nonsense and whatever, I finally got her to admit, she's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to have a kid anymore. It like changed the whole dynamic of our relationship. And look, I know she went through cancer, so I'm not saying anything bad about her. Like she would never discuss her reasons though with me. Yeah. 
And it, it literally like ruined our marriage. The whole thing like ruined our marriage. I found out years later that she had been secretly paying the storage for the embryos for years and like never told me. And when I found out, I'm like, why? And she's like, well, because maybe at some point I want to use them. And I'm like, <laughs> so when we're married and I want to have a, bit, a baby so bad, you don't want to use them. You're not sure you want a kid anymore. Then after we get divorced, now you might want to have a kid. I'm like, I, I don't get it. As a man, what do I do with that? If she wanted to have a kid, she could go ahead and use the embryos and go ahead and have a child. I can't do that. What am I going to do? Yeah. So this is the dilemma of like being a dude. Hmm. We don't have as much control or say as the woman. I started dating again in LA. And one of the women I started dating, she actually lived in New York. And she had a child that was seven. And she had actually had her child through in vitro. Mm-hmm. She used to call him my little miracle baby, right? Because she was told she couldn't have a child. And we're just a few months into the relationship. And I have this friend who I will call psychic because I don't know what else to call her. Because one day she calls me and we're just chit-chatting. It's like, oh, so is your girlfriend pregnant? I'm like, no. What do you mean? I just started dating her. She's like, no, it's just, no, seriously, is your girlfriend pregnant? I think you should ask her. I think she's pregnant. I'm like, you're crazy. It's impossible. And then my girlfriend starts calling. Over the next three days, every time I talk to her, I'd be like, Oh, my back is killing me. Oh, my breasts are really killing me. Oh, I'm feeling nauseous today. I'm like, shit. You know what? I have to ask you a question. Do you think you could be pregnant? And there's like this long pause. And she's like, well, I didn't want to freak you out, but I've been wondering myself. So then she's like, well, what if I am? I'm like, well, look, I know our relationship is new, but I love kids. I'd be thrilled. Like, I would love to have a kid. Hmm. So she goes and takes a pregnancy test and calls me later that night. She's like, oh, guess what? You knocked me up. She was pregnant. Wow. So I'm like, wow, holy cow. So again, life changes, right? Turns on a dime, right? Yeah. Again, I'm thinking, finally, my dream's coming true. Then I get another call from the psychic friend. She's like, so I saw that your girlfriend is pregnant, but I didn't see the baby. Oh, no. I said, so what are you trying to tell me? She's going to have like an abortion or something? She said, no, she's going to have a miscarriage within six weeks. And I'm like, oh, my God. So... Now I'm thinking, do I tell this to my girlfriend? I can't now say, oh, by the way, the same person says you're going to have a miscarriage and like freak her out and make her all nervous, right? So I said nothing. I didn't say a word. <laughs> I just kept it to myself. And I thought, oh, she was right one time, but come on, she's not going to be right twice. So then she came to visit me. She's like, oh my God, I'm in so much pain. I don't know what I did. I was carrying laundry up the stairs. My back's killing me. So I was all worried. And then like at midnight, wakes me up. She's like, uh, we have to go to the hospital. I'm like, oh shit. Hmm. Go in and talk to the doctors. They run the test and they're like, yeah, we're sorry. You had a miscarriage. You were definitely pregnant, but you had a miscarriage. Ugh. So we go home and it was weird. It's like, you don't know how to respond, right? She wasn't like super emotional, which was kind of weird to me too. So I thought, why is she not more upset. Then I started thinking, well, like your mind starts doing the mind fuck, right? Well, is she she glad she's not having a baby? Is this relationship not going where I thought it was with her? And maybe this is a sign somehow. The universe is trying to tell us something. We ended up splitting up. So that happened. So then again, back into the dating field. I'm dating all over the planet, literally. (laughs) And then I meet this Brazilian girl who lives in Brazil, barely speaks any English. So I I text her, say hello, thank God for Google Translate, right? And we start chatting and she was just so different than all the women in LA. Like she wouldn't ask me like, oh, do you like sushi or crap like that? It'd be like, what's your 
what's your happiest moment? What's your saddest moment? Things like that, like in depth, like she really wanted to get to know me. And then one day she's like, oh, do you want to talk on Skype? I'm like, sure. So I go on Skype and she literally says, hi. And I'm like, fuck, I'm going to Brazil. <laughs> there was just something that magic. She has this aura. So we started dating and it was immediately just like, I'd known her like forever. So she graduated law school, moved to LA to be with me. We got married and she's amazing. The issue we're having, which is really not a fertility issue, is she's 40, just turned 40. She moved here. She wanted to get a career going and all that. Had to start her life all over because she had just graduated law school, but can't study law here. She can't pass the bar if her English isn't good enough. So she was like, I don't have a baby now. There's things I want to accomplish I can't do if I get pregnant and I'm sitting at home taking care of a kid. So now years have passed. She just turned 40. And she talks about someday, if we have a kid someday, I'm like, baby, you're 40. Someday has to be like tomorrow. So now the dilemma is, what do you do? Because I really want to have a kid like tomorrow. She doesn't. And I'm just really concerned that she's going to miss the boat. Mm. And I've told her, like when I met her, I want to experience the whole childbirth and all that with the woman you love. You know, to me, that's just really important. You know, I want to have family and stuff. That's what matters, right? And I, I've told her, look, if I don't have that, I will never get over it. I'm just point blank telling you, I will never get over that. But I don't want to like guilt her, but I'm just saying, look, this is, I've, I, from day one, I've told you kids are super important to me. Yeah. So there's my sordid tale of woe. <laughs> I look at where I'm now and I'm like, how am I at this point where I'm this age in my life and I don't have a family? If I was in the same position as a woman, I'm sure I'd have a kid by now, right? Mm. But as a guy, what am I going to do? I don't have a womb, right? So I still need the woman. So we'll see what happens. But I, you know, to be continued, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I should ask my psychic friend what's going to happen. <laughs> a lot of these journeys, even when they seem hopeless, end on a to be continued. Maybe it's that the urge to procreate is so strong that hope just won't die. The very next try I could have after the miscarriage was on Christmas Day. Oh, no. <laughs> One of the few days in the calendar that the clinic was closed. And I couldn't even explain. People who even knew what I was going through, I was trying to explain this, the grief of the loss of that try. And it didn't translate. It, but I realized I was holding on. I'd been holding my breath for that first next try. I sobbed. I sobbed pretty good <laughs> Christmas Day. <laughs> So we lost that month. So then the next month that we could try was January. That one worked. We got pregnant the very, very first try afterwards. And we are pregnant. And yeah, that moment with the pregnancy test felt different. It just did. How so? I'd felt so open and free to be excited the first time. And I felt like those emotions weren't accessible to me anymore. No. Seeing the baby and hearing the heartbeat was way more impactful mm -hmm. than the pregnancy test was. They bring it up and it's this little <laughs> worm. And I must have shouted, is it alive? <laughs> oh. I just needed to know, like, tell me as soon as possible. And they go, yeah, we can see the heartbeat. But it wasn't until they hit a button and turned on the audio. And it went dub, 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 dub. And I, I just fell apart. I started weeping. Because that was the sound I had wanted so badly to hear last time. and That was the yes. Yeah. I don't take the, the dub, dub, dub for granted. I really don't. I have one of those at-home baby Dopplers. I limit myself to just a couple times a week. 
I find the heartbeat on my own at home. You're just like, knock, knock. Yeah. I just like, are you still there? And I first, first thing in the morning and then I can spend the rest of the day knowing like I'll talk to baby today and baby's there. The wonderful thing about hope is that it happens in spite of yourself and in spite of your fears. I'm proud of myself for feeling hope again. And I realize how much more resilient I am than I thought. Meanwhile, Amanda and I were still testing our own resilience in the dreaded monthly cycle. 15 days of hope, 10 days of despair, over and over and over. Three to five minutes. I'm still several days early though. Uh... Yeah, it looks pretty negative. Although, faint, faint, faint. there is a faint, faint, faint line. Oh, that's how it begins. <laughs> Turn the lights up a little. Ooh. Oh my God, that is a faint, faint line. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Don't get too excited over here. It's not even that faint. I mean, it's like faint, but not faint, faint. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty faint. <laughs> yeah. That is so something faint right now. <laughs> when you've had a loss, it's hard to trust a sign of good news staring you in the face, especially since we'd been immersed in all these tragic stories. It was starting to seem like the whole world was struggling with infertility. And indeed, some worry it is. Join us next time as we speak with Dr. Shanna Swan, author of Countdown, about dropping sperm counts, rising miscarriage rates, and the global infertility crisis. So come on, get lost with us. Find us on Twitter, at Amanda Knox. At Man Under Bridge. And please, write us a nice review Tell your friends and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of Labyrinths. This episode was written, edited, and sound designed by us with theme music by Josh Budo Karp. Fun fact, for every hour of Labyrinths you enjoy, we put in dozens of hours researching, outreaching, interviewing, scripting, editing, and audio engineering. What keeps us going? Coffee. coffee. So if you're enjoying Labyrinths, please buy us a coffee. Head over to patreon.com slash Robinson, where you can make a monthly donation. Thanks for getting lost with us. <laughs>